Welcome back to the 430 Movie. We got our expert programmers here to curate Fantasy Theme Weeks of classic films. From 1998, film directed by Steven Soderbergh called Out of Sight. Yes! Soderbergh directs it with such a sort of confident, self-assured style. Lex Luthor in Superman. What is it about Gene Hackman that... uh... His performance, it's off the charts, but still in reality. Fiendishly gifted. 1981, Sam Raimi Opus, The Evil Dead. Oh, yes, fine choice. Sam Raimi invented entirely new ways to get shots that should not have been possible with the amount of money that he did not have. Charade. Oh, Directed by Stanley Donnan. It's a textbook screenplay. It's just effortless, and there's not a wrong note in this movie. Can't say enough great things about it. We'll be back next Friday with an all-new episode of The 430 Movie, wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us now for The 430 Movie. The 430 Movie Podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Download it today. Hello and welcome to Best Movies Never Made, a podcast where we talk about interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. Most of the time, the movies you're trying to make don't get made. Like, four of them may happen, one of them may happen, none of them may yeah. happen, and I'll be attached to three more things by end of summer. Turn the script into something resembling like Unforgiven with Conan. Yeah. Sadly, the rights expired and the whole thing just like went away oh. overnight. New episodes will be available every other Monday. We won't see you at the movies. Best Movies Never Made, as featured in Entertainment Weekly, is available wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. If you felt a great disturbance in the force, you're not wrong. My new book, Secrets of the Force, is now available in hardcover, digital, and audio from St. Martin's Press. And check out my other great oral histories with Ed Gross of Star Trek, The 50-Year Mission. So say we all, the complete oral history of Battlestar Galactica. And nobody does it better, the complete oral history of James Bond and Spymania. All available in hardcover, paperback, digital, and audio wherever you buy your books. And welcome to the Cartoon Bar Room, where we invite industry professionals and experts to pull up a stool and talk about all things animation. My name is Stephen Melching, and joining me as always is your congenial co-host and mine, Ashley Edward Miller. Hey, Ashley, what's happening? Hey, man. Uh, so it's been a little bit crazy, dude. Um, as you know, you know we are in the, the midst of, uh, of getting the second season of, of Dota together. Uh, it's looking pretty freaking rad. Uh, we're seeing some kick-ass animation from Studio Amir. We're hearing some like great tunes from Dino Medigan, our awesome freaking composer. And it's just kind of coming together. Um, and, uh, you know, something that's really been on my mind as we've been doing all this and, uh, you know, we've been like getting into ADR and all that is, uh, is how much I love our actors um, and how much actors bring to animation and just um, the special things that uh, that they can do, um, the little things that they can add to a show that, um, that the animation itself can't quite cover, um, especially when you're talking about people who are really experienced voice actors, who really know how to bring something extra uh, to a character who is not them. Um, you, you know, when they're not just playing a voice, when they're not just playing themselves, when they really know how to get into a scene, how to change it up, how to play it different ways, uh, it's really just magical. 
Um, and, uh, you know, that I think is a pretty great way to tee up the first guest of our second season, not of Dota, uh, but of Cartoon Barroom. Um, our, our first guest uh, being somebody that uh, I know that that you have a lot of experience with working with um, that I haven't had the pleasure yet, uh, Mr. Sam Whitwer, um, who I have to say, um, my son, uh, my 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 boy who just turned twelve, whenever his episodes of the Clone Wars would come on, his eyes would light up, and he would always know that uh, that his characters were going to be on because the logo turned red. Uh, <laughs> I am referring to the voice behind Darth Maul, the cool one, not like the one from the Phantom Menace, which, um, but the cool one, um, and Emperor Palpatine in the Clone Wars, and I also believe in Rebels. Is that Well, uh, I, I, I think, Sam, you did, well, we're just well, talking over Sam but, while he's sitting there listening. Maybe we should let Sam Shall I correct you? Welcome, Sam. Sam Whitmer, right. Yeah, Welcome no, no, to no, the bar I, room, no, Sam. Was, Which, what are you drinking? Ian Abercrombie. Oh, uh, Virgil's oh. root beer. Oh, God yeah. bless you. Virgil's root beer. Yeah. What are you drinking, um, Not really. Uh, I don't really drink, but you guys can drink <laughs> for me. Uh, I'm having my usual, dude. I'm um, I'm drinking a, a Grey Goose Martini very dry uh, with dirty with olives. It's, uh, it's pretty choice. I'm ready to rock. I'm ready to roll. I'm ready to do all of this. If you guys my, get my... really drunk, I'll pour, I'll pour myself a, a glass of wine and uh, and then, you know. I'll be right there with you. You Fantastic. know, I realized too late that I should have opened a bottle of Skywalker wine. There you tonight, go. And I'm kicking myself that I didn't open a bottle of Skywalker wine. I have, wine now again, I don't really drink, but I do occasionally have some wine with dinner or something like that. But I have Klingon blood wine in the other room. Ah, nice. Okay, Perfect. that's pretty nerdy. That that's um, right. That is impressively right. nerdy. Mm -hmm. But I, I approve. Oh, so, so to correct you, Ian Abercrombie did Palpatine and Sidious uh, okay. for the Clone Wars. And, and then he was, when, when he tragically passed away, passed away. Um, we had, oh my God, uh, Frankenfurter, yeah. beautiful, wonderful actor. Uh, I'm Tim sorry, Curry. Tim Curry. Yeah, Tim Curry. Tim Curry. And then for Rebels, yes, I did one, I believe one episode as Palpatine. But Dave has since um, special editioned that to be Ian McDermott. <laughs> Which, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, what are you going to, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I, I, I'm very clear about the fact that that is not my character, you know. I, I feel like I can do it pretty well. I feel like I got a good handle on the character, but it ain't my character. That's well, you did a great job. And as I, as I recall, you did the, I guess, the temp voice for it in another, uh, that other uh, uh, later episode. I did, I did, but I didn't bother to do a good job because I was like, oh, I mean, what's At that the point, point? I, I don't think we knew whether or not for sure we were going to get Ian McDermott. Really? You should have told me. I would have tried harder. <laughs> uh, um, no, I mean, that was, I remember it because it was just so uh, wonderfully written for Ian. So I tried to give um, Taylor, reading with Taylor, uh, enough uh to work off of, but all, you know, look, that was at an era where, where Dave very graciously would bring me in on episodes that frankly, I didn't need to be there for. And I loved that because I, he knew I loved to be around. <laughs> he knew I loved to just be a part of the process. And so there were times where I, I did the math. I'm like, there's no reason for me to be here other than the fact that Dave knows that I would like to. <laughs> and so that was cool. I thought, I, you know, for example, the last episode of The Clone Wars. I can't even remember what... I, I'm not sorry. The, the last episode of Rebels, 
yeah, at the time, we didn't have a last episode of The Clone Wars. Right. So the closest thing that we had was the last episode of Rebels. And Dee was there, and Ashley was there. I think Ashley was there, right? And no, no, Ashley was not there. She wasn't in that episode. I think they, they did a they did a, a special recording of uh, the coda with her. Right, did no, she, she was. Right, she was there. She was there. That's why I remember Ashley being there, the coda, right, the whole Sabine. But, um... But I don't even remember what the hell I did. I think he just had me play a couple of stormtroopers. And I remember saying to him, hey, man, th- I, I really appreciate it because you know that I, this, is, this is a momentous occasion, the end of Rebels, and, and, and I appreciate being here. I, you know, this is, in a way, uh, the end that we're never going to have for Clone Wars. Little did I know that we would Little did <laughs> have our <laughs> ending. But, uh, but, yeah, so, you know. But, yeah, in terms of the... In terms of the Ian McDermott replacement, because, you know, I, I surely in Rebels felt very excited to be playing the Emperor uh, across from James Earl Jones. <laughs> really I was so excited about that. <laughs> but, but Dave knew, I remember when he called me up to tell me that, uh, that I had been replaced. And he knows I'm enough of a Star Wars fan to where I would be excited <laughs> by that. He's like, hey, I got some good news. I'm like, what's that? I replaced you. <laughs> I'm like, with Ian? He's like, yeah. I'm like, that's cool. That's so cool. So I think the, I, th- I seem to remember being in a in a meeting with with him and and him saying like, you know, I think we got Ian McDermott's going to come on, and I kind of want to re-record his lines for the the pilot, and you know, that'll make Sam cry. <laughs> it didn't. It didn't. I mean, again, like I said, it's not my character. It's not my character. You know what would. I think it would hurt my feelings if I had been replaced as Maul. I, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think then I'd be like, but with Ian McDermott, I mean, can I really make a case for doing it better than him? No, I, I really can't. Can't do a, yeah, because, a case you know, for why it should be me. Maul was, you know, in Phantom Menace, it was, um, you know, Peter Serafinowitz. Yeah. Serafinowitz did the voice yeah. with the uh, on camera was... Um, Ray Park. Oh, Ray Park. Ray Park. Ray Park. Not Roy Park. Roy was his uh, was his brother from the sticks. Uh, and to, to be honest, there there wasn't Roy a Rogers. huge. He's a rodeo star. He, uh, you know, double headed, great guy, bridal, totally great, great guy. guy. He's uh, he's awesome. Honky tonk. Roy. Spry. Super spry. Great with the lightsaber. Spry. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, Maul had what maybe a half dozen lines of dialogue in the words. Good. Yeah, words in that. He had, movie. No, he, he barely had, spoke. He had. I can do the, the lines for you right now. If cool. we're on do an them, animation please. podcast, would you like? Would you like to hear them? Would you yes. like to hear them? Because I had to learn them. Hundred percent. Okay. Okay. You ready? Here we go. I don't think I've ever done this uh, on ca- on a camera or in a microphone. So you ready? Here we go. Yeah. You ready? Let me see if I can. <clears throat> oh, all right. Good. Let me drink my Virgils right here. Mm. <laughs> this is amazing. All right, here we go. You ready? Tatooine is sparsely populated. If the trace was correct, I will find them quickly, Master. And then he goes, Live against the Jedi first. You will then have no difficulty taking them to uh, the Queen to Naboo to sign the treaty. And then his second line is, At last we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last we will have revenge. You have been one trained by young apprentice. They will be no match for you. And then the third line he has is, Yes, my master. And that's it. That's all he has. But, 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 during uh, when, when Phantom Menace was coming to the theaters, 
They had the tone poems. Do you remember those? The oh, commercials? Yes. Those were cool. Liam Neeson would be like, it will be a hard life without remorse, without reward. You know, and all that stuff. Or don't look back before you go. And Shmi Skywalker or Anakin. Mm-hmm. And, they, and, and the most lines that Peter Serafinowicz had as Maul is in those commercials, which is a fantastic commercial. It's a great whole, monologue. Great little yeah. monologue. Fear. Fear attracts the fearful, the strong, the weak, the innocent, the corrupt. Fear. Fear is my ally. So that was where the voice had to at least begin when we were doing Clone Wars. So I remember walking around with a, I think I might have made a tape of that stuff and I just had it playing over and over again so that at least I could give some sense that this was the same guy, you know. But but I, again, I want to make it very clear. I think Peter Serafinowicz came up with the perfect voice for him in, in Phantom Menace. I thought that was oh, great. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, they're, they're, but they're just, you know, there wasn't that much of a character there. No. I mean, he looked amazing. The The fight choreography was astounding you know it was a really compelling character that that sold a lot of merchandise but they're just you know and he dies at it the was end a compelling of it, or so we think for yeah. a character he didn't become a compelling character until clone wars like in my yeah, house then like, he's fleshed out exactly no darth maul doesn't get cool until the clone wars um you know even like even for my kid like but uh but i mean look when darth maul shows up in clone wars darth maul owns the clone wars i um, well and, look <laughs> they, you know, thank you, Melching and, and all the writers for writing great stuff for Maul. But, you know, the thing that I remember wasn't, the feeling wasn't, oh, we're going to own this. We got this. Now. Oh, man, we're going to kick ass. That was not the feeling at the time. The feeling at the time was, what kind of hubris bullcrap is this that we are pulling? Because he was already a fan favorite character and he was a fan favorite character the way he was, the way he was. Yeah, he was a man of few words and people loved him. And, and boy, I think it takes a lot of hubris or, or, or a certain amount of daring, depending on how you look at it, uh, to go, hey, you know that character you love? And you're like, yeah, we love that character. Yeah, well, now we're going to show him what he's really like. You know, you're like, oh, dude. I mean, Dave and I would talk uh, months before we recorded and we would have these discussions about what we thought the character should be. And and it was never about the sound of the character's voice. It was always about the character, the inter- the internal life of the character and who he was. And we definitely discussed how, in in a way, we can't win. Because everyone else has already decided how they want him to be internally. And now we're going to decide definitively with George's uh, stamp of approval and his authority behind us, we are going to tell them who he really is. So we were very much like, we're we're going to fail at this. But But maybe, maybe we'll succeed. (laughs) But you had this conversation, right? Where you decided that you weren't just going to do karaoke. Uh, you know, you were going to find this character. You know, you were going to figure out who he was on the inside. I mean, like, what was that conversation like? What what came out of that specifically that you armed yourself with when you so went much. into the booth? So much. Well, Dave, uh, you know, Melching will, will tell you that Dave has always been really good at knowing what an actor needs. And I've, I appreciate that so much. Because, look, I've done live action shows where <laughs> uh, I'll ask people what I feel is a fairly reasonable question, like, what's the role? 
What's the function of the role? What do you need me to do? How do you want this to be? Any of those things. And most shows, by the way, they'll have some very good answers for you. But I have, and, and, and look, when I was a younger actor and you're auditioning for stuff, for guest roles and stuff like that, you don't ever ask those questions. You assume that what you did in the audition is what they want. But right. when you get a little bit more experienced and people are offering you things, generally people will say, here's the role. Here's what we want. Do you want to do it? And then you say yes or no and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I have been on, in situations where I've been offered something, showed up, and then utterly ignored when it came to what, what is this supposed to be? And, uh, and then you just do the best you can under the circumstances of no one saying a damn thing to you. And then Dave Filoni, on the other hand, I remember one week, I, I, <laughs> like I shot something on a set where no one would talk to me or return emails or phone calls. Um, and this was something that they'd asked me to do, like as a favor to them. And then I'd go over to work with Dave and Dave would give me a 15 minute monologue to prepare me for two pickup lines. Right. <laughs> and, and dude, and I don't mean like, oh, he's Dave's just talking. No, I mean, he was cooking. And by the time he was done with his 15 minute monologue, you were in Star Wars. There was crazy stuff happening all around you that he had created for you. And so you were ready to do those two lines and you knew exactly what he wanted because he told you exactly what he wanted and why these lines had changed and why the story was important for kids to see and why George wants it this way and blah, blah, blah. And here's how it fits in with Star Wars. And dude, so, so anyway, to go back to Darth Maul, Dave told me absolutely every piece of information that they had at the time, what George was thinking how far the story goes from just, you know, it wasn't just the first episode or the second episode. He had, he's like, this is how far we've written as far as what happens to this guy. So he gave me every piece of information that he had. And then we just would talk. And, and I remember they were fun. If, if the stakes weren't so high, if we weren't so <laughs> convinced that we could not only make the fans hate us forever by blowing it, but also cripple the show by blowing it. Cause you know, because like, this was like, you can't really, Clone Wars was ascending at the time. This would be a terrible time to cripple the show with a terrible version of Darth Maul. This would not be the time for it. I mean, in fact, when Dave called me up for the role, it was very pointed how he offered it to me. He said, he got on the, I, I'd been warned for a week that a phone call was coming. So finally a phone <laughs> call came and I was wise enough to pull the car over. I was in the car. And he goes, okay, I'm just going to cut to it. You know, if you're like, there's a call from Dave Filoni? Okay, boom. And then Dave gets on the phone. And he's like, I'm just going to cut straight to it. I need Darth Maul. Can you do it? And it wasn't, <laughs> are you available? Is this something you'd be interested in? Oh, I know you're a huge Star Wars fan. No, that's not what he's asking. He was asking, am I making a mistake by hiring you for this? That's what he was asking. Can you do it was literally, be straight with me. Are you the guy for this? So I lied and said, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's okay, do that. I can do that right now, but I'm not, I don't want to. I'm going to do it later. <laughs> so anyway, cut ahead to D Dave and I talking about all the ways this could go wrong and, and trying to find the one way out of the 99 ways we could do it, the 100th way that it could go right. And so we talked about why is Khan a great character in Star Trek? And, and that, that it's not simply that he shakes his fist and has wonderful monologues. Um, and Peck's really great, terrific. Really, <laughs> really, dude, that guy was in shape, man. Yeah. Ricardo Montalban, what an incredible actor. Um, but, but what makes that character is not 
the big Shakespearean shake your fist at the sky, play for the back seats, you know, exclamations. It's the humanity of the character. Khan is a extremely relatable. When you see what you when you see what his grievances are and why he's obsessed with Kirk, you go, you get it. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point, Kirk. You heard him heard him a little bit. You, you, you stranded him a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, start, yeah, Star Trek. Star Trek Two was a wonderful commentary on so many assumptions about Star Trek, like Kirk's sexual life comes back to haunt him. You know, the fact that he's a little bit loose with that stuff. Kirk, the, the fact that it was this, ep, you know, we knew it was an episodic show. So he'd go to a planet, he'd take a look around and say, this is all wrong. You're going to do it this way. Don't you understand? Your <laughs> Bible's a lie, you know, and all this stuff. And then he'd change everything around and then he'd take off. Well, Star Trek II made the comment of, you can't always just take off. Something might happen. You might have to go back. You got you to really follow through on some of these things. So there was this wonderful point of view that the con character had that the audience, if they knew the previous episode, could really actually get behind. But moreover, the, the performance was layered with that stuff. We also talked about Gollum, because Dave is a huge Lord of the Rings guy. So we talked about that character and the, again, obsession, the circular nature of Gollum, how he just revolves and, and orbits the ring the gravitational pull of the ring and how it's driven him mad in the same way that dark side will have driven Maul mad. And then I started talking about Colonel Kurtz from apocalypse now, you know, that, that there had to be a foreboding of this character, a real buildup. Cause I'm like, look, we're, we're essentially doing heart of darkness. Clancy Brown is going to go down essentially into hell, into the heart of darkness to pluck out his dead brother and bring him back to the living, take him from hell, bring him to the living. And Dave talked about the witchcraft and the healing his mind and all these things. And he even talked about the visuals that would go with it. So, so we just geeked out about film stuff. And what, what was really fun was that they made a, an internal Lucasfilm poster that they gave out at the first showing of the Darth Maul stuff at Lucasfilm for, for a select group of fans. And it was the Apocalypse Now poster, but with Maul's face and survive. Oh, that's amazing. So, so, you know, these talks that we had weren't just me and Dave. These ideas were proliferating around, you know, Dave was, you know, whatever we had come up with, Dave would share it with the people over at Lucasfilm. There's a lot of that that goes on at Lucasfilm. You come up with, you and Dave come up with something or, or something happens on set and then you go and visit Lucasfilm a year later and you watch how the animators... And the you know, and Joel Aaron and all these people have banded behind their version that supports whatever happened in the in the room. Anyway, long story short, that's what we talked about. We just went, we geeked out, we talked. I mean, we we were specific. We were like, look, like, let's be honest, this guy's gonna talk a lot. He's it's not he's not gonna be because all the comic books and all the books had him be that it's kind of Clint Eastwood, strong, silent type, and they'd all sort of written him that way, or it seemed like they had largely. And we're like, we're going to defy that. We're going to defy that openly. We are going to make the decision that when he was like that, that's him standing on ceremony and being a good military apprentice. Yes, sir. Yes, my master. Yes. And that's why he's not speaking much. But now (laughs) he's not the apprentice. And now we're going to find out what was going on in his mind was when he was saying, yes, sir. You know, now he's at ease. And we were going to discover that with a Sith apprentice and the rule of two, you can only have one apprentice, or at least you're supposed to only have one apprentice. And if you can only have one apprentice, Dave and I thought it made absolutely no sense for him to just be this silent assassin. He would have to have a lot to say. He would have to have a lot of opinions. 
You'd have to be extremely smart. He'd have to be cunning, diplomatic at times. He would probably have a sense of humor. So we started plotting out, well, how are we going to do this? And, and, and I remember also that, you know, we were like, okay, we're going to do this crazy thing with the spider legs, which were this outgrowth of, you know, the, the, the Sith obsession of gathering relationships, gathering wealth, gathering power, putting it all, give it to me, 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 because they have this black hole in their heart. And so everything is me. And what happens when a Sith gets essentially horribly disabled and destroyed and, and thrown away into a garbage pit? Well, he still has that sense that he is the most important thing that could ever be, you know, be, exist in the galaxy. But he has nothing to gather around him, so he just gathers garbage around him. And that over the years, as he started going mad, the garbage started sticking to his ribs until eventually he's crawling around and there's a big trail of garbage behind him. And then eventually, as the madness and the dark side takes over, the, the garbage starts having a life of its own. These, these spider legs that, that are animated by the dark side of the force and by his madness and all this stuff. And Dave and I were very aware that while we were going to go that nuts and that crazy, and that's what George wanted. I mean, it's George's story. He had this incredible mythological thing that he wanted to do. And we were, we were conscious enough to go, okay, we're going to do that and we're going to go for it. First thing we do, the moment he gets his mind back, is he'd better damn well sound like Phantom Menace and he better act like that character for at least an episode before we start adding on the little personality traits that we want, you know, like the sense of humor and the cunning and the the, sar- the sarcasm and the the pettiness and all that. Like, let's let's take that one at a time and add a personality trait per episode. But the the moment his mind gets healed, he needs to be Phantom and a small for one episode because that's what the audience is waiting for. Right. And we know that for one week, when we air the Spider Mall episode, until we air the next episode. With a good chunk of the fans for that week, we will be the people who destroyed Darth Maul. They're going to be like, "What the hell is that? That's not Darth Maul!" And because <laughs> you know, and then the next week, hopefully, when they see where the story is going, they'll retroactively embrace the Spider Maul and they'll go, "Oh, you know, that was actually really cool," because now he's the guy that I expected. And then we'll slowly ease him out of what that is. You know? and, and Maul is a great character study for. Why are the Sith so dangerous? You know, they're not just dangerous because they're badass fighters. They're yeah. dangerous because of all those reasons you were listing about their cunning and their their intelligence and their greed. And you know, Henry Gilroy and I wrote a comic book called The Sith Hunters that based on a story from from Dave about those years between the Phantom Menace and the Spider Mall episode. Like, I don't think I read Maul. this. Tell me about yeah, that. Yeah, it's a little digest. I can give you a copy of it. Please. They sell for like a couple hundred bucks on eBay. But, you know. <laughs> but, um, uh, but you have to sign one. Like you have to sign one for me. I'll give you one and then you Certainly. sign one for me. But uh, uh, the whole idea is that it was his, his greed, his, his the, the Sith reject death. They crave life and existence right. above all else. And it was right. that. That that desperate need to live and that greed that kept him alive, yes. <laughs> even though he's been cut in half, it was that the the power of the dark side of the force reinforced well, re- by all that. I remember one of the arguments because we obviously one of the big problems we had to surmount, all of us that worked on that show was 
how is the audience going to accept that he's even alive to begin with? And then, and then of course, the, one of the first things that, I don't know if I said it or Dave said it, but we said it on the phone. I'm like, I think it was, I think it might've been me. I think it might've been me. I think I said to Dave, although it could have been him. <laughs> I don't want to give credit where credit is due. Let's pretend for a moment it was me. I said, dude, let's pretend there's no other Star Wars movies and you're watching the prequels. And then Anakin gets cut into pieces and thrown in the lava and he lights on fire. And then let's say you roll credits at that moment. And he lights on fire and then you roll credits. In episode four, people would be going, what the hell is this? Anakin died. We saw him get burned. No, man. What's this? I was waiting for you, Obi-Wan. It's only the fact that we know Anakin lives, that we were already accepting whatever. You could go as extreme as you wanted in terms of his injuries. And in fact, the more extreme you went, the better, the more dramatic, because we know what happens to him. Maul, it's the same thing. We see Sidious get horribly uh, disfigured and injured. We see Anakin get horribly disfigured. We see Maul, same thing. And the fact is, is these guys, as you said, are afraid of death because if they die, then the, then the most important thing in the galaxy dies, which is them. them. And they can't allow that, you know? <laughs> so let me ask you this, right? So one of the things that uh, I like to talk to my actors about is what is it that you know your character wants right like at a, at a core level what is it that you're after something that informs literally every scene that you're in like what's that thing so when you were playing darth maul you know what was that thing in the back of your head that darth maul wanted even if it never manifested itself in dialogue even if it never uh, you know became dramatized in a, in a physical way like what was it you know, the, the, when, when that would be asked of me in drama school, I always had a very, very hard time answering that question. And it made me feel very stupid. I, I felt like I wasn't as smart as my uh, classmates. And what I realized is, oh, no, 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 no. The, what was confusing to me about the question was that I was in some way in my mind addressing the fact that what the character wants is not necessarily what the character thinks he wants. Correct. So what Maul thinks he wants is for Obi-Wan Kenobi, at least in the beginning, for Obi-Wan Kenobi to suffer and be humiliated and to have his revenge. And he thinks somehow that'll make me feel good because I feel crappy. That'll make me feel good if I can get that revenge. And it throughout the Clone Wars, you watch how he fails, but also succeeds at times in right. getting, I mean, the first time he encounters Kenobi, he defeats him very easily. And, and we make this point of, no, 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 let him go. Let him go. Because this isn't making me feel, this was too easy. It's not making me feel good. Let's go do something for a second. I think the problem is my revenge isn't big enough. There it is. I want to get him, but let's get him big. Can't get him. You can't just kill him right away. You got to Got to get him big. And so he keeps, and then, and then Maul cuts off Savage's arm and then, oh, well, damn it, but let's keep trying. And, you know, he keeps trying all these different things. And then finally at the end of his arc in Rebels. Well, you, you, there's a great point in the middle there where he's like, I'm going to hurt Kenobi you, in a way that, you know, without hurting him physically, I'm going to hurt his heart. That's right. By killing Duchess Satine. Right. And he doesn't, Maul, unfortunately, doesn't get, the opportunity to really watch how 
Kenobi does not allow that to send him down the same path that it sent Maul, you know? Uh, he didn't get the opportunity to see that because then Sidious shows up, you know? But, but and then finally in Rebels, Maul goes, you know, the one thing I never tried, killing him. How about that'll do it? How about that'll do it? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like this, it's... I remember a friend of mine was going through a a breakup that lasted years. And when I say a breakup, it lasted years for him. It didn't necessarily last years for both of them. And I remember him saying to me, you know, the last time things really made sense was, you know, like, was like, you know, around the last few months of our relationship and something happened there. And I think that, I think I need to go and talk to her and, and really figure out and get that piece back, you know, that, that's, that's been missing. To which I said, bro, it's been six years I guarantee you she's not going to know what you're talking about. And even if she did, what interest does she have in helping you put your stuff back together? This is you. This has nothing to do with her anymore. Nothing. Nothing at all. You're missing the point. You've, you've been obsessed with this being about her. It's not. It's about you. And I think that's relevant to the, to the mall thing. He thinks it's all about Kenobi, and it's not. It's, it's that he's concentrating on all of the wrong things in life to, to make him feel whole, to make him feel better. Um, you know, and, and ultimately when it comes to Star Wars, I mean, you know, we see hints of what could actually make him better with Savage. You know, we, we made this, this choice um, because I think that they, in the scripts, they had him alternate between calling him Savage, calling Savage brother and apprentice and brother and apprentice. And I said to Dave, why don't we just pass the point where Savage challenges me for a moment and I say, you're the apprentice. Let's never call him brother again until maybe the end. And then when he dies, he says, brother. And you get a hint there that it's like, no, Maul, if you'd made your life more about taking care of this guy, you would have started to fill in that hole in your heart. You know, if you made your life more about other people, um, and that's what he needs. He needs those connections. Ezra Bridger, you know, like he, he, you know, I, one of the most fun things about Maul and Rebels is, you know, showing up because when, when Maul came back in Rebels, we now had the confidence of, okay, Clone Wars worked for the fans. They liked that. So now if we don't do something weird or just as weird in a, in a different way, we're letting them down. You know, it used to be like, how are we going to get a, how are we going to get away with this weird thing? They're never going to accept it. They want the, the Phantom Menace mall and we're going to give them a weird thing instead. Oh, bait and switch. Oh, and, and, and let but, me tell you, this pressure that you felt bringing back Maul as Spider-Maul, I felt as the writer of that episode when we reintroduced him as the old master. I'm like, dude. oh shit, now I have to write this character who was so great in Clone Wars, but he's going to be different and like, our fans going to accept this? Is it going to be cool or they're going to be pissed? I adored those scripts, you know, the, the, the two-parter, because, you know, when I looked at it, I mean, again, we, we knew we had to do something weird and something different or the fans would actually be let down. It couldn't, it yeah. couldn't just be, hey, it's me again. Remember me? <laughs> hey, girl. Really boring. Um, I heard you like the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> it's not worth bringing back a character like that unless you're going to do something new with them, something something that yeah. you've never seen before. And so, so you know, for one thing, I thought it was, you know, I, I, me and Dave had this talk, and I'm like, why? What if I just 
grasp on my voice and make his voice very weak. But moreover, the most important thing, let's make him as sincere as we possibly can. No hint of anything going on behind the scenes. And let's really, let's mess with the audience. Because ultimately, ultimately we were skirting so close to what the audience on a subconscious level knows Maul needs to make his life actually whole. We're skirting on the edge of that. So him, you know, like when he says, you know, well, you were going to do this and do that. Yes, but I would have remained loyal to you. Just, yeah, but I would have done, you know, and you're like, dude, maybe he would have, would he, can he, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, that's the fun of Maul in Rebels is, is that in some ways he's sniffing what he really needs, what he really wants to answer your question. Is to be a Jedi? But, well, like, you know, in some ways, maybe, I mean, you know, like, look, I even feel like at the end when he makes his plea to Ahsoka, you know, the, the most fun thing about that, now that we went back to Clone Wars, you know, because I had a, it's a different Maul than Rebels, you know, so you had to go back to that, the younger Maul. But the truth of it is that he has the only plan in town. No one else has a plan. The Jedi, as you know, Belching and the writers so wonderfully described it and George and Dave, the Jedi are going forward knowing they're walking into a trap but no one can see their way out of it. I mean, there's that wonderful scene where they go, Yoda, are you sure? We've just learned about the clones and that they were planted there for us and we know about this and we know about that. And everyone's like, this is not the first time we've been proven wrong. And, and he's like, Yoda, are you sure this is what we need to do? Because we can't, we can't, we're not going to tell the Senate that the clones were set up for us. And, and, and Yoda goes, I'm not sure this is the right thing to do, but it's the only thing we can do. And you're like, oh my God, the Jedi are screwed, you know? So, so Maul coming in and saying, guys, you're all looking for the Sith Lord. I could just, I could tell you where he lives. I know his name. I've been afraid <laughs> or, or perhaps loyal or, you know, to not give away this information, but I could give it to you right now. And that, wouldn't that make a difference maybe? And when he says to Ahsoka, you know, that, that the time, you know, the Jedi can't do anything. The Jedi are gridlocked politically and, and uh, they, they can't do anything. But Maul and Ahsoka are not Jedi. We actually can take direct action. Mace Windu, when he goes in to see Palpatine, is this close from being arrested and sending the Jedi to exactly the same place that they're about to go anyway. Right. Because if he says, look, I arrested Chancellor Palpatine. Why did you do that, Mace? Because he's a Sith. <laughs> okay, and I'm a Buddhist. What's the what? What does that <laughs> right. mean? He's a Sith. A thousand years ago, that might have meant something to the people at large. But right now, at this point, they're like, yeah, the people with the laser swords? Yeah, those guys. You know, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean anything. So, that In a so way, anyway, that's actually more interesting. Yeah, well, you know, again, you. it's Mace Windu was about to get the Jedi in some deep crap, which is exactly why Mace the Windu goes, Windu. I have, yeah, he's like, and it's exactly why Mace Windu goes, I have to kill this guy. Because we're all going to yeah. be screwed anyway. I've now committed ourselves to this action. I now realize he's got us exactly where he wants us. The only thing I can do to give us a leg up, because the Jedi are now going to go into a world of political hell, and we're probably all going to be arrested anyway, I can kill him. And then Anakin's like, but that's not what we do. What I did to Dooku, that's not what we do. That's not right. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Sorry, it's geeking out about Star Wars stuff. No, no. And, and, and Maul has such an interesting journey. I mean, we see I, again why 
why the we see the flip side of the Jedi. Why do the Jedi have these rules about attachments and about you know all that stuff? And and we see about using their their abilities mm-hmm. in in ways that are unethical or you know immoral. And Maul doesn't have those restrictions, and no. you know, becomes a friggin' crime lord for a time. You know, yeah. takes over Mandalore basically. Yeah. And you know, I mean, we saw a little snippet of uh, of you uh, providing the voice performance for Maul in Solo, right? Um, as the as the leader of this, uh, the was it the Black Sun? It was a uh, Crimson Dawn. Crimson Dawn. Black Sun is the other the other organization. Which is, it's all related. It's all yeah. part of the same organization. And and I was really hoping, you know, I don't know. I guess hope springs eternal that maybe we'll see a continuation of that story some in some way. Yeah, because um, that's that whole period you know, in between Clone Wars and, and Rebels where he's doing all this other crazy yeah. stuff. Yeah, well, there, you know, I, I think there's this, the sense that I've gotten is that you you can mess, you can do, <laughs> you can ruin these things, right? Like, I think too much Maul might be a mistake. I yeah. think that it's kind of like too to go to jaws. another... <laughs> yeah. Right. If you see the shark yeah. too much, it's not scary. Or, take, you know, take not, I don't want to compare myself because this is, I think, a really another science fiction type performance that I think is really great. But I liked Q when he showed up and you were not expecting him and you were like, oh my God, it's mm-hmm. Q. Oh God. What are, what's gonna, what's John Delancey going to do now? Oh my God. You know, and that character really mm-hmm. does evolve through the series. Um, or the Borg. See the Borg too much, they stop becoming scary. So Maul, I, I'm gratified that I sense a certain reluctance sometimes. Not that I know, I dude, I don't know what Lucasfilm was planning, but I do at times sense reluctance to to bring him in, and I think that's correct. There, there have been, yeah. I mean, I, I, Melching knows, and I can't. We can't go into specifics, but there have been times where characters that I have played could have made appearances in various things. And in every case, I find myself going, I'm, I'm glad we didn't. I'm glad we, let's not, let's not root, let's, let's wait for the time to be right. Let's not do it because, oh, wouldn't the fans love it? The fans will love it if it's great. So let's do it when we're confident it can be great. And, and if that means we don't do it anymore, then let's leave it there, you know? Um, That's like with with Darth Vader in Rebels when we got the you know like oh we're gonna bring Darth Vader. Oh, it was so great. That was so. And you know we like we had to use him so sparingly because he's so such an amazing character. He's gonna overshadow everything, and you just know when Darth Vader shows up, you're gonna die. Yeah. So you know you really gotta construct those stories with care. And, and pick your moments to use a character like that, or it becomes he becomes like Skeletor. You know, he shows yeah. up. And I'll get you, He Man. And well, you know you what's know, funny he is he doesn't get you. Yeah, he doesn't get you, and he's when not it, scary anymore. When it comes to Maul, the rules are, as I see it, a little bit different than Darth Vader, and they should be because they're different characters, right? Like one of the things that George used to say in Clone Wars is that, hey, look, we have to remember that in this show, the good guys have Darth Vader on their side. So they're going to win a lot because it's Darth Vader is on the good guy's side in the Clone Wars, right? Um, and and 
I remember people, for example, when General Grievous came out and they're like, I don't understand. In, in the Gennady series, he was so badass. He was killing everyone. He's this, he was this unstoppable cyborg to which you go, yeah, I see why George changed it. Or, or he didn't go in that direction because he already has an unstoppable cyborg. It's called Darth Vader. Like the characters are all very different from each other. The rules with Darth Vader are if he shows up, you're all going to die. You can't win. You have to run. That's pretty much the rule with Darth Vader. And the only thing that could possibly deal with Darth Vader are if he happens to have two children out there somewhere. That's how somewhere. Star Wars works. Don't know who they would be. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, like in, it's like in Rogue One. What was so perfect about Rogue One was that throughout the movie, they're struggling against this empire and there's this... Throughout the movie, there's there everyone's lamenting that magic has died. Magic is no longer exists in the universe. But we're gonna we're gonna do our best against this empire, and and they're kicking our ass. But we're gonna do our best, and we're plucky. And then in the end of the movie, you go, no, 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 magic hasn't died in the universe. It's working for the bad guys, and th you were never fighting the stormtroopers. Were never the empire. That's not who you were really fighting. You were fighting this guy, and you can't win. And Rogue One sets up an amazing need for Luke Skywalker to come into the story. It's perfect like that. You know, it really sets up episode four really, really well. It creates a strong need for Luke and Leia to come to the forefront of the story because there is no dealing with this Darth Vader character. Now, Maul, the rules are a little bit different. He can lose fights. But the thing about Maul <laughs> is that is that if he loses a fight, there's, and he doesn't always lose fights. He, he's, he's very good, right? But, but if he loses a fight, um, it's like one of three things are going to happen. Either someone is going to be permanently physically injured, someone is going to be permanently emotionally and psychologically injured, or Maul will be right. One of those three things will happen when Maul loses a fight. And I think that's what makes him an interesting character is that, oh, we, you know, he's not Skeletor. We got him. I'll see you later, T-Man. I could have got it. No, it's Maul going away saying, Maul goes, okay, you got me. Why don't you think about that? And then he goes off and you go, wait, wait a second. Did we win? Oh, God, Kanan's blind. Ezra's super into the dark side now. Oh, God. Or like Ahsoka being like, uh, why does everything that he's saying sound like the truth. Oh, what is he it? Kinda, he just kind of, he kind of flips the board, you know? Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm not going to win. I'm just going to flip the... Well, it's a great way to handle a villain. Board. You know, you it's very difficult to bring them back again and again and have them continually right. getting their ass kicked. And, you know, you, you want to give the, uh, the heroes their victory, but at the same time, you don't want to undermine the bad guy. And I think what was really effective about Maul and the Clone Wars was that, you know, you could send him away but you could not dismiss him. You never right. felt as though he were defeated, right? Mm -hmm. Merely that you survived an encounter, which I thought was really smart. Right. Well, the interesting thing, I think, about lightsaber fights is that when the, the George Lucas mythology, the George Lucas lightsaber fights are only ever about two values. They're about values right? This value versus this value. And we see how it plays out in the lightsaber fight. And they're ultimately, uh, you know, almost theological values or they're, they're um, you know, they're uh, philosophical values that, that come up against each other. It's why the Jedi cut battle droids to pieces because there's no, they're not up against values. They're up against these pieces of metal that are coming at them. And like, 
great. Yeah, no, I don't want to deal with you. There's no, you're not, there is no value. There is no, thank you, Busted. Thank you. There's no value that's coming up against me. So therefore the droids can't stand up to the Jedi. There's, there's nothing, there's nothing um, thematic aside from mechanization trying to move in on the galaxy. I mean, there's a lot of themes that are happening there for sure, but the Jedi have, you know, the Jedi face battle droids. That's ultimately kind of how that works. Now, the thing with, with Maul and Ahsoka at the end is that, and this is something me and Dave talked about, Ahsoka is fantastic when she's fighting for her friends and she was fighting for Anakin, right? Maul is terrible when he's fighting to save the galaxy. He doesn't know how to do that. And he's not, and he's trying to not kill her throughout that whole fight. I mean, we even talked about it. Even when he says he's going to kill her, he's not. He's, he's, he's like, no, nah, I'm going to cut your hand off and I'm going to capture you. Come on. Can you just get with the program? I have the only plan. Would you please? Okay. I'll cut your arm off and we're going to have to build you a mechanical one, but we're going to do this. You know, <laughs> like there's a lot of that happening in that fight. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's really interesting. I, I think that's very cool. You know, and then, dude, and then, and then again, when you see, we kind of prove that point out where later when Order 66 happens and Ahsoka goes, go cause chaos. Well, guess what? Maul knows exactly what that value is all about. He's good at that. So suddenly Maul is going Force Unleashed and ripping a Star Destroyer apart from the inside with the power of the Force. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like that guy... If that guy fought Ahsoka Tano, then you'd have a real battle of two very opposing values. But the battle of Ahsoka Tano and Maul earlier is about a very confused space for these two characters. Very confused. And that's what makes it, I think, so exciting. I mean, one of the brilliant things about Dave's and George's story there is that, you know, okay, look, Luke Skywalker, you know, Vader says, join me. You know, I'm your father. I am your father. Join me. And Lucas was very smart about who Luke Skywalker was. He goes, you know, like you can imagine it's 1978. And he's like, well, we all know. He's going to say, join me. And we all know that, <laughs> that Luke is just like never going to do that. So that's not the drama of the moment. Well, then how do we give George... If there's no drama at the moment, we don't have, well, shut up or I'm going to fire you. Now listen. Um, he says, join me. And the father thing definitely throws a, a psychological monkey wrench, but the drama is created because we'll put him against the bottomless pit behind him. So the choice is you join your father or you die, which is also a really interesting analogy for father-son relationships. You know, um, That's exactly how I deal with my kids. That's right. <laughs> what I tell you, or you fucking die, Okay. <laughs> This is really simple. And Vader announces that that's going to happen anyway. Join us or die, master. You know, all this stuff. So, so the drama becomes what's he going to do? And then Luke des decides to choose death. The drama with Ahsoka and Maul is different. There's not a bottomless pit. The drama is that Maul is telling her 100% of the truth. And the only miscalculation he made was that he assumes that because the Jedi betrayed Ahsoka, she probably hates her master in the same way that Maul hates his master because the Sith betrayed him. He's assuming that's the same thing and he surely doesn't really understand friendships and camaraderie. So he didn't make a good pitch. <laughs> he really <laughs> messed it up. So, you know, but the drama inherent is that Maul and Ahsoka could absolutely throw a huge monkey wrench into Darth Sidious's plans. Huge, 
huge if they decided to work together. Um, but she's never, ever going to betray Anakin. That would be betraying herself. So it's a very interesting problem there that Dave and George created. I'll say. I'll <laughs> you did I'll say. say, man. You did say. This was the deepest dive uh, on this character that I've had outside of uh, a writer's room. <laughs> yeah, this is amazing. Right. Melchin, can you tell me a little bit about what those were like? I never really had a chance to ask you. Oh, well, I mean, on, on Rebels, when I was part of the, the, the sort of the full-time team, uh, it was a, it was great. You know, it would be, uh, typically, it would be, we would do these pre-conferences with, with Filoni and uh, Carrie Beck, you know, our producer, and uh, and Henry Gilroy, the head writer, and, and um, you know, Pablo Hidalgo was usually there, is sitting quietly offering insight or, or detail that we might not know off the top of our heads. And we would just kind of look at the look at the season and and kind of get a sense of of where we wanted to go in each season and start planting, you know, mile markers, and uh, and then talk about the kinds of stories we wanted to do and the, and the sort of the general character arcs. And then uh, Henry and I would typically go off and and write them up uh, in like a page or two each and we would go through a, a cycle of notes with everybody and then we would convene up at Skywalker Ranch or usually Big Rock Ranch the the ranch next door to Skywalker Love Ranch Big Ranch yeah uh, in a big conference room with uh four or five of the episodic writers for that batch of scripts and uh we'd have a whiteboard and and either Henry or I would be up at the whiteboard you know writing out the mm -hmm. the beat sheet and, you know, you know, Filoni, he would, he'd be sitting there listening to us. And, and sometimes you're not sure if he's even paying attention because he's just drawing the whole time. <laughs> that's he's drawing right, that's these right. amazing drawings. And some of, sometimes he's illustrating what you're talking about in the scene. He's drawing a new character. And like, this is what the character, you know, this is what old Captain Rex is going to look like. Like, oh, that's amazing. How cool. Oh. Or, or this is what the creature, the, the creature is going to look like. Or he'd storyboard a sequence and little storyboards like this is what how it's going to go. All right, that's awesome. Uh, I, I, w I remember uh, at one time he actually built a a in 3D a little out of like cardboard out of like uh, file folders and tape. He built a spaceship <laughs> of what this this cargo spaceship was going to look like. <laughs> he just built wow. it and drew little the cockpit on it and everything. It was like this little 3D model. And he's like, bring that to the art department. <laughs> but, you know, so he'd be sitting there drawing and we'd be debating a scene. And then Dave sometimes would just suddenly lift his head and 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 speak up and, and solve all our problems, you know, because he's, he's thinking about it the whole time. And other times he would go on these lengthy uh, lectures, basically, on, on, on what Star Wars is or, or what, the history of some character and he'd tell us stories about George. And uh, another time when we were talking about these, the Mandalorian stories in, uh, in Rebels, he turned the white, we went, we went around to the other side of the whiteboard and he started drawing the family trees of all the <laughs> houses of Mandalore and right. trickling through the ages. And, you know, it, it's funny to kind of see that, you know, that stuff never gets thrown away. You know, it's part of, part of his mythology and we see little snippets of that showing up in the Mandalorian TV show and you know all yep. that stuff and it's it's amazing the the amount of uh of information stored in him and 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 Dave just has 
he's one of those rare people that I've met in this business that operates on another level. Yeah, yeah I've met a lot of really good writers, uh, and but he's just one of those people that's on an on another level, and it's it's awe-inspiring and depressing at the same time. It's like I like could I ever be like that? Like I don't know. He's younger than me. He's He's, he's telling these amazing, he's got a, such a sharp story sense and, and character sense and, and visual sense that just all came together. And, and you realize that he was exactly the right guy for that job. Oh my God, yes. He, George's apprentice. He, um... Well, there's only two ever. Yeah. <laughs> you can only have two. <laughs> you only have two. He, um, yeah, would, would quite often, I mean, I, I, my first role in, Clone Wars was the son of Mortis. And because of a, a lie he came up with off the top of his head, it created the character for me. Because I showed up completely new to voiceover. I mean, my Force Unleashed was more of a mocap shoot. And so I was learning on the job how to even be in a voiceover studio and do the in-game dialogue and stuff like that. And I don't know that I was terribly great at it yet. Uh, I know that I wasn't. And, and, so then they ask me to do this character and it's the dark side of the force is what they say. Oh, you know, yeah, no, George wants to do the story about this strange place, you know, this dream world and you are going to be the dark side of the force. So no pressure for a Star Wars fan being told that he has to play the dark side. And that, that's a theme. I don't know how to play a theme. I know how to play <laughs> a character. And so I showed up and I look back and I kind of, shamefully, I didn't know what I was doing at all. And, and, and what made it even worse for me was that Ashley and James and Matt and Dee were so dialed in because these, this is the season three version. We were, season two was airing, but this is season three version of these characters and they were really good at what they were doing. And I didn't know what I was doing. And the only saving grace was that I didn't have much dialogue in the first episode of the three episodes of the arc. In the first episode, my character doesn't talk that much. And when I did talk, um, I remember at some point raising my hand and saying to Dave, Dave, are we a little bit concerned that this character is sounding a little bit too much like Starkiller, my character in the video game? Because I was going very close to my own voice in some ways. So are we concerned it sounds like Starkiller? And he said, well, you know, and, and, and Dave diagnosed what the problem was right away. The problem was, okay, I have an actor who's losing confidence. Can't have that. What can I tell this guy to restore his confidence so that, we, so that I get a good performance out of him? So he came up with this lie right there in front of me. And I was, and I was v- vaguely aware he was doing it. But he said, well, listen, you got to understand you're playing the dark side of the force. And your character, Starkiller, in the video game had a very strong connection to the dark side of the force. So it's okay if they sound kind of alike. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. But then I remember going home and going, what a cool idea. Now, the only way that that idea makes sense is if you heard all of the villains from Star Wars in the voice of the Mm -hmm. Mortis character. And suddenly, David giving me the character. He didn't know what he was doing. He was just lying to me to help me out because I was losing confidence. <laughs> but his idea, I'm like, that's a great idea. But it only works if I... And then I was looking at the script for the next episode. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. He says, join me here. This, this, and that. Like, like if there was a, a line, if the line was, sister, so I see you brought a friend. I was like, okay, well, then I'll start with sister. Sister. 
So I yeah. see you brought a friend. And just bring a little gravel in the friend and sister. And so it starts at Vader and then it goes off into an emperor, but we'll do it really lightly. And I, we'll see what happens. So then we were recording and I remember Dave very early on going, Hey, Sam, I think I know what you're doing. I'm like, yeah, I don't Should I do it less? He's like, no, 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 no. Do it way more. And in fact, we always say, don't quote the movies and stuff like that. But this is a weird world where George has explained that all of the events that are going to happen in Star Wars are happening in a mixed up way here, that time is folding in on itself. So yes, when you say sister, it should be sister. You know, it, it should be that. It, it, it's not, it shouldn't be join me. It should be join me, you know, like that type of thing. It's got to, these are echoes through the force, you know. That in have in a way, it's that the dark side of the force is speaking through all those characters down the line. Which yeah. led us to giving Maul some sun lines later, especially mm. in the in the cave as the spider mall. Uh, I I because I remember when because Katie Lucas wrote, wrote a great script uh, with him with the spider legs, but she's she it said in the script he's mumbling to himself and it never said what he was mumbling. And because me and Dave had talked about Apocalypse Now, I was like, well, listen, I'll just smile them. I'll just smile them, Brando, and talk about it. like there's a plane landing. Yeah. (laughs) And he's going to the Burbank Airport, Bob Hope, and the honeybees flying around. (laughs) So I was like, I'll just come up with some crazy stuff. And I just made sure to throw some some Mortis stuff in there. Because I'm like, there's something about, well, if, if Mortis got me hired for Maul, and and I felt like when we were doing Mortis that I threw in some Maul moments, even though I didn't know what his voice was going to sound like later because I didn't know I was going to be playing him. But I f- always felt like those two characters were connected. So I'm like, let's make the connection a little bit more mysterious by having... In- Sane Maul never says it, but Insane Maul says a bunch of stuff that if the fans pick it apart, they there's some interesting connections to all kinds of weird stuff. So let's talk about the process there for a second. Um, because you know something you said it was really interesting about that that uh, that interaction with with Dave and kind of what he told you and and very clearly you know you you went off that direction and you you found a thing that frankly was obviously not in Dave's head when he said it right it was he was he was trying to get you into a place where you felt like you could perform and you came in and you surprised him and by the way that's great right like there's nothing better than when an actor comes in and does something that you're like shit I, I never thought about that but but thank God you're here to think about it for me. Um, you know, it, it sounds like you kind of went through an evolution in that moment um, as an actor, right? Like, I mean, obviously there's a lot of differences between, you know, acting voice and, you know, live action acting mm-hmm. on screen. There are different things that you can do. There are different tool sets. So, so what did you take out of that? process out of that experience that informed um, how you went forward in your in your voice career? Wow, it's a very interesting question because you do have to give it a little bit more than, you know, you have to give it some physicality. You have to give it the feeling of you actually being there and stuff. Um, but I think what it was, I mean, look, if, if we hadn't done Mortis first, if Dave had just hired me for Maul, I don't know if I would have been ready because the Mortis thing, the way that the fans reacted to it and the way that Lucasfilm reacted to it gave me the confidence to think that maybe we could pull off Maul because before then I wouldn't have had the confidence. I mean, I went in, again, I did, I, I would never dream today 
of going in to work with Dave Filoni without a very, without a bag full of ideas. I would never dream of doing it, but I did. I mean, like that's <laughs> clearly a younger version of myself. I mean, I'm sure I had some ideas, but I didn't, I didn't know the character. And, and when he said that, episode two and three, I'm like, no, I know the character. I, I think I know exactly how to do this, right? And, and I try to never show up for anything live action or, or voiceover without a very specific take, my take. Um, so it scares me to think if I, and I never would have gotten mauled. I mean, the Mortis thing led him to thinking of me for mall. But a challenge like that is not something I would have been ready for. Um, you know, so I learned a lot from that. Um, yeah. I mean, again, you know, the, the fun thing about doing all this voiceover stuff is that um, you, if, you're, if you're a live action actor, it just occurs to you, you're like, well, why don't I just do this when I'm on camera then? Okay. <laughs> yeah, and I've been, you know, here and there done that where I'm like, he's going to sound like this. And, and uh, that's been fun. <laughs> it's been really fun. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there, there is, you know, yeah. If, if I took away anything from that experience, it was show up and be obtrusive. You know, like a lot of actors are so scared or feel so lucky that they got a job that they show up and go, well, I'm going to say my lines. I'm going to do it exactly the way you want. And, uh, you'll never know I'm here. Don't worry. I'm just going to, I'm going to do it. You know, just you, you won't even notice me. I'm just gonna. You, you don't have to worry about me. It's all good. And that's exactly the opposite of what you need to be doing as an actor. You need to mm -hmm. be obtrusive. You need to. <laughs> you need to make an impression. <laughs> and and I I'm in some ways uh, a shy person. So sometimes I have that instinct. And I weirdly think that all of the Clone Wars and Rebels and all that stuff has made me a more obtrusive actor. Uh, someone who feels like, no, if I'm here, I better do something. I better do something. I'm not going to do nothing. And that's not what people pay me for. So, 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 so. Okay, well, uh, Sam likes to talk, doesn't he? Wow, does he like to talk. But you know what the best part is? When you've got a voice like that, you should be allowed to talk. And we should Absolutely. be allowed to talk with him. You want to listen to what the man has to say. So we are going to make this into a special two-part episode. With a cliffhanger and everything. <laughs> so hopefully you're hanging by your fingernails right now. You can't wait to see where this conversation goes. I know I can't, and I've already heard it. Hell, I was in it, and I don't know. <laughs> Well, that was another exciting episode of Cartoon Barroom. Thank you for joining Ashley and myself. Uh, our sound engineers are Bill Ritter and Mark Rivera. Our producer is Natalie Miscali. Our co-producers are Peter Holmstrom and Zach Ragus. And our video editor is Dylan Middlebrook. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing and rating us in the Apple Store five stars. It really helps spread the word. You can also check out our sister shows, The 430 Movie, in which a group of industry professionals curate a fantasy theme week of classic movies. The Inglorious Trexperts, the ultimate Star Trek podcast, and the best movies never made about films that never saw the light of a projector bulb. You can also watch all these podcasts and much more on the free Electric Now video streaming app. Download it today at your favorite app store. You can also follow this show and all the others on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 
So until next time, that's, that's all, all, folks. folks. This show was produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.